Hi there, welcome to another episode of iWhoops. What will we be talking about today, Jamie? Well, today we're going to be addressing the concept of deprivation in training. And uh, I guess really the, the, the main question is whether you can uh, take deprivation too far. Well, I would, deprivation in and of itself sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> sounds like the end of the question. I guess then the, the question yeah. is, there any, is there any room for deprivation? You, you are deprived of oxygen. Okay, new question. The new question is, how much deprivation is the right amount of deprivation in training? Is any amount okay? Or is it all just being What mean? is deprivation? Okay, new question. <laughs> That's a good point. Why, why don't we start with defining well, why what is the whole deprivation thing goes back a long time in training where... Um, uh, like standard, uh, right, I'm going to deprive the dog of my contact, I'm going to lock him in a crate, that's where he lives, and when I let him out, we play and train together. So for the dog, playing and training is the be-all and end-all. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, should a dog live like that? I personally think absolutely not, for two reasons. Um, I don't think that's any life for a dog. No, most of this happens in sports circles, right? I mean, yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, people can certainly overuse a trait, for instance, let, in let a me, pet home. Let me put that in a more positive light, then. I like dogs that can wear two or three hats, the same that their owners do. Their owner can be a banker and a dog sports enthusiast. I don't really have a hat. <laughs> oh, my God. And I think dogs can too. And I, I like dogs which are companion animals and they can lie on the couch, yet they can get up and be a working dog. Boom, at the drop of a hat. Sorry. Um, just as the owners can. Mm -hmm. The other reason I don't like the notion of deprivation, it, it really <laughs> underscores that the trainer doesn't really understand the basic principles of learning. The behavior is changed by consequences after the behavior, not changed by antecedents that happen before the behavior. And we're seeing so this... So you're calling deprivation an antecedent it, in training? Yeah, it, it's the notion. Two things happen that we see it in people who don't know how to, say, lure-reward train. They don't phase out the lure within the first six to twelve trials, so they still have food in their hand week six in class. Well, it's now become a bribe, because, you see, the dog's notion has changed. The lure works with a willing you know, pupil. Mm -hmm. But once the dog's developed his own interests, now you're trying to coerce him to act against his will. You're showing the food before the behavior, you're giving it after the behavior. That's a bribe. So when the dog blows it off, people try to get the dog to respond by upping the level of the lure or the bribe. Mm -hmm. They now increase it to like salami and cheese and then dried fish. You don't change behavior that way any more than you train a dog not to blow off the lure by depriving him of food. You see, th these are all such old ways of, of training that don't work. So, so you're saying some trainers, work. when their food lure stops working, they might try and use tastier food lures, or they might try starving their dog so that kibble, yes, becomes, so kibble becomes tastier. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, it's like in, this all comes from an, uh, an article that we read, and at one point in the article she mentions uh, about nothing in life is free. Um, that's very different because there, the food, if you like, or play, or is given as a consequence, as a reward. So it's like. So you're saying that nothing in life for free, or nilith, as it might be called, um, is not necessarily deprivation. That they no. can, they can be used in a deprivation program or as a deprivation program. 
No, what we do is we well, weigh out at, at the beginning of the day, I ask the owner, how much are we going to feed the dog? Let's weigh it out now. Don't want to deprive the dog of any food at all. How many minutes do you want to spend with the dog a day? Let's graph it out. I don't want to deprive the dog of that human contact at all. Give it judiciously. When the dog does things which are neat, like he comes to you in the park, that's the time to cuddle and pet him. Um, so it's the you timing of your, of your rewards and reinforcements more than... The timing and the placement of them. No, it's giving these commodities or value yeah. things as a reward and reinforcement. Yeah, no, the, the timing of when you're going to yes. do these things anyway. After you're going the to behavior. Them. Yeah. You're going oh, yes, to see, cuddle I see what you're them. Saying. Yeah. Uh, all the things that you want to do or need to do for your dog to mm -hmm. make them happy and lovey or that you just want to do because you think it's fun to cuddle or whatever it may be. It's, it's, when you, it's the timing of when you dole them out that can affect behavior. Yeah, I think if we time them, as in nothing in life is free, rather than giving it to the dog whenever they want. So the dog learns, I do whatever I want when I want. But that, you see, causes owners to become frustrated and dogs to be punished. So we think, well, all the things that dogs enjoy and that people enjoy doing with the dog, like attention, affection, uh, playing games, play, uh, having activities, um, giving them food, stuff like this, mm -hmm. you use it judiciously as a reward. Um, I even use behavior problems as rewards because that's the thing the dog really wants to do. He wants to pull on leash or jump up or bark or, or in Doom's case, run away from me. Mm -hmm. Run away from me. Well, we play the game of chase. Problem. It is if he ran away from me and I couldn't catch him. So we put it on cue, tag, and that hits his signal to run off and I chase him all over the house or, or in the park. Mm -hmm. And so I don't consider at all we're abusing the dog or in any way because I wouldn't deprive him of his daily allotment of food or his daily allotment of attention and affection any more than I'd deprive him of oxygen. You have a, mm -hmm. a little note there, Jamie, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, actually, in general, I'm still not, I don't know if we've come up with a definition of what deprivation is. Or, I guess, to me, one, one of the points she raises in the article is deprivation as being a relative thing. Um, you could have a dog that's used to spending all day with people, and then if you put that dog in a crate for an hour, then that dog might perceive it as being deprived of social attention. But if you have a dog that spends you know, six hours a day on its own, then one hour away from people is, in, you know, is not a yeah, difference. Yeah, you, you, you obviously have finite deprivation and you have developmental deprivation. So finite deprivation is to be humane. How much food should a dog get per day? How much uh, human attention and affection should a dog get or per day? Or fresh air, or time yeah, to or stretch his yeah. legs, and or any exercise. any space to live in, like our little battery hens, you know. And so there are certain minimal values. It Just is. to I mean, it's, it's, it's open for minimal mental health requirements, mm -hmm. and the dog should never be cheated of those. But then you get into the thing of what is the dog used to? So if a dog has, like a young puppy, if he's been used to total freedom of house and garden, and he now has these problems, and sadly the only way to correct the problem is to use confinement, yeah, that's now deprivation, and initially it's unpleasant for the dog, so the first thing we have to do is to teach the dog to love confinement, mm -hmm. which we do by putting food in there and having him offering to go into confinement for free. In your crate, he says, oh yeah, cool, because there's a stuffed chew toy in there. So once you get used to something, to then take it away is deprivation too. Mm -hmm.
Um, my whole view is I just don't like deprivation. Um, if we talk about confinement, I would rather start off with a puppy totally confined to a whelping um, area mm -hmm. and then long-term and short-term confinement in the home and then after a month to the kitchen then the kitchen and the hallway, then all of downstairs, then the whole house, then the whole house and garden. Because you would argue that minimizes deprivation because you are increasing freedom increasing as freedom, freedom taking it away. As opposed to what happens in the whole run of the house. Full mm -hmm. access and freedom yeah. as much as possible. Which, which is the opposite as to what's done, where the dog's given free run of house and garden, then confined to the garden, then to the garage, then to a 10 by 10 pound. Well, there are society. people who think that crate training in general is just cruel. That is true, and, and, and um, I, I strongly disagree. That's their opinion. This is mine. And well, the, uh, but but the again, it can be if it's done as, as genuine. The point said. is, we can ask the dog. Yeah. It's like in the previous iWolves, you're talking about the zoo animals being asked to offer the preference testing. You can actually ask a dog, would you rather be in your crate or outside of it? Well, you can teach them to the like open. it, and then you can ask yeah. them whether or not they want to do it. And we, whenever I bring out a new crate for whatever reason, um, if I leave it, if I set one up in the house, and leave the door open, uh, sometimes I'll come in and find several dogs sharing it. Because it's new, and especially if you put just one chew toy or in there, stuff with food. Or a bed or something in there, they love They'll that. They'll all be in there. They, yeah. don't want to, they want to be in the new area, and they want to try the new bed. And, and I think that, that brings up a, a much bigger point, that no matter what tool you use in training, you should test that the dog likes it and is okay with it. And by preference testing, and asking the dog to voluntarily, say, put on his muzzle. For example, if your dog is reactive and causes harm and you want to walk him, well, he should be muzzled. In some countries, and you just need to muzzle certain yeah. dogs to be in public. They need to learn to accept but that. But the important thing is, is the dog okay with putting it on himself? You know, does he put his nose into the muzzle, mm -hmm. or does he struggle when you try to put it on? Mm -hmm. So that, that's the question about, I think, deprivation. Is it that unpleasant? But to me, it detracts from the central principle of training that we modify behavior by the consequences. And that's where all of these things which are cool, that we're not going to deprive the dog of, but we're just going to give it to the dog after he does something cool. Like mm -hmm. he comes to us in the park, so we sing and dance and we hug him and kiss him. He sits at the door, we mm -hmm. say good boy, and we give him a bit of food. So it's, it's no more than his daily allotment, but it's no less than his mm -hmm. daily allotment. It's I think smart. When you go back to the notion of the, the daily allotment, then we're bringing up the concept of what is the basic needs versus what is beyond those basic needs, what is perhaps privileges or extras or something, where it would be cruel to, to restrict a dog to less than the food it, it needs to, you know, healthily live and survive, but it's fine to restrict your dog from having unlimited access to the bag of kibble. You know, in some ways, mm -hmm. that could be considered a type of deprivation. The dog's thinking... You know, the food's there, why are you keeping yeah, it from yeah, it? Yeah. But we think that's perfectly reasonable, because it's... It's a very good point, because having free access to the bag of kibble for some dogs is a death sentence, or at least it's taking two to three years off their life, mm -hmm. because they're going to be fat. So it's a very, very good point. And so, back to when I was trying to introduce this concept yes. for the question, this notion about whether there is some room for deprivation, I think it depends on how you define it, because there's certainly some room for controlling access to a dog's you know, desired resources. There's certainly room for controlling access to food or controlling access to freedom, whether that's running outside your house or running throughout the house. I think, yeah, I think that so is... So is controlling uh, access deprivation? Certainly it can be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is it harmful if it's permanent and finite? 
If it's temperate, no, it's a very useful training tool which betters the relationship between dog and person. And to me, it's no different than waiting for a child to politely say please. Mm-hmm. He, he's like, dinner, now! I'm sorry, Jenny. I will deprive you of dinner <laughs> until you <laughs> ask appropriately. Yeah, but temporary. I just say, it's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a condition say, there. There's yeah. a way for me to get past this deprivation. Yes, I would say you have a choice, mm-hmm. but that was the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Or let's put it this way, you framed that question incorrectly. So, so going please, back to specifics, though, I feel like in this article it was mostly about, or it's, as you were saying, it's mostly about sports dogs, or it sounds like the most common... Uh, example is someone who right keeps a dog locked up in a place where they you know can't expend energy or you know play investigate yeah. so that when they are let out in theory they will uh, work harder play harder move faster all of those things and what do you think about that as being is that effective is that the best way to do that is there it's effective I personally don't like it I think people do that for two reasons. One, they don't know of a better technique. And I happen to think my technique of doing it is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, they're sport people. They actually have a lot of dogs in a limited amount of time. And so crates are a very convenient solution. Well, I think it, it takes the onus off of the handler to be interesting, exciting, and motivating. You know, it's pretty easy to get the attention of a deprived creature, whether it's a kid or... You so know, you're saying it is deprivation. Yes, Ken yeah. is voting. This is deprivation. It, I would too. And yes, it can work, but um, it, it does... It's it's kind of an easy way out. And it's not that it's not a tool that can be... Like any tool and method, it can be used or abused. But if you're just re- or primarily relying on the fact that you're going to keep your dog mm-hmm. living in a vacuum mm-hmm. um, so that you can be the most interesting in their life without expending a lot of effort, energy, creativity then that's kind of crummy, in my opinion. Whereas, um, you know, not to mention... So, so, and I think that's what happens a lot of the time. You know, if, if you know how to play with your dog, if you have relationship with your dog, mm-hmm. if you're doing lots of different classical conditioning exercises with, with, your, with your dog relationship-wise, um, again, the playing part, um, and if you're doing the, inter- the training and playing interludes and keeping sessions short and sweet and integrating play into everything that you do, then you will be inherently interesting and training will be inherently interesting to your dog and you won't necessarily need to deprive them of any other options in order to want to spend time with you. It's just another form of preference test, right? Really. I I think it's that, I think there are many, many, many trainers out there and owners who see training very differently from the two of us. Um, That to me... Hey, the three of us. Uh-huh. Well, like, <laughs> right, it's crazy. We, we don't actually know how you feel yes. about it. And and I think you know a massive part of our philosophy is um, yes, number one, we have to teach the dog what to do. So prior, you know, instruct, instruction prior to task, and and then once we've trained the dog, we actually have to make sure the dog does it. We have to deal with issues of compliance, but ninety percent of what I try to do with the dog is motivating the dog to want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's where someone like Kelly is, I mean, that's her very being of living with the dog. I mean, uh, you know, most of the time, um, that is the joy of having a dog, that you play with it, you interact with it, and of course the dog would do this. I mean, mm-hmm. why would a dog not do this? And if it didn't, Kelly would stop me saying, hey, Stop blowing me off. Do it. Or consider uh, what do they need. Yeah. You know? and, and so I, I always like to ask the dog, you know, what would 
what would you most like to do? If they're blowing you off or not interested in working with you, then it is a relationship gauge, a motivation gauge, or perhaps even just an understanding, um, a learning gauge, you know, an understanding of the mm -hmm. task at hand. So more deprivation isn't necessarily going to... And that's when we would deprive. I mean, that, that is it. Well, I definitely would. If would. a dog were blowing me off when I think, you know, I've really tried here to teach you what I want you to do and motivate you to do it. If you blow me off, I'm going to deprive you of training. I'll just say, right, that's it. Dune, come out of here. And I'll, fair play, and I'll yeah. play with Hugo, and I'll say, Hugo, have one of Dune's treats. Let's play with Dune's tug, and now Dune won't be blowing me off in, in the future. So that would be mm -hmm. a situation where I break a lot of training rules because I do totally deprive you of training, which is brilliant if you think ending training is the biggest punishment, well, negative yeah, punishment. Well, really done your job. Yeah, you, 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 you know, that, um, right. The problem training. is if you end training and the dog says, "Wonderful, training's over," yeah, then you yeah, have okay. problems with your training. But and that's the the other standard training rule in traditional training is you never end a training session on a bad note. I think I do probably twice out of ten because the dog start to blow me off. I said, "You know what? Training well, ends. Yes. I'll work with another Try dog." Try to keep the short and sweet yeah. and motivated and want to and leave them begging you for more. However, if they are showing, if this goes to the preference tests again, you know, if they're showing they're not interested or maybe have to pee or whatever it may be, I don't know, then you do end. Yeah. They, you know. But, but I, I think this whole notion of deprivation even coming up um, is because training is becoming technical. Trainers are becoming technicians, it's becoming clinical, it's lost its soul, it's lost mm -hmm. its direction. Yeah, I mean, the question is, why do you have a dog? Yeah. Do you have a dog so that it's locked up in a cage and then comes out and performs some specific task really excitedly? I, that's not why I would have a dog, but... And, and um, I mean, you, you take a trainer like Kelly, where the training is the fun thing to do. Like, the latest acquisition of many is a skateboard. And seeing, you know, the dogs learn it is, that's the fun part. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it really looks at the, the real, um, you know, the, the nucleus of this. Some people think, no, you tell the dog what to do, and then you're damn well do it. If not, he's trying to dominate you. And we have this view of the training, that the dog's our adversary in the training arena, as opposed to, I think, our view, where we say, well, the dog's a pupil, we'll teach him what to do. And then we want to motivate them to really want to do it, at which point rewards are totally unnecessary because doing it is the reward for the dog as well as for the owner. Training, yeah, training should be fun and, and playful, and if you're doing your job right, then, then you don't, it's not you standing there barking orders. It's, it's a playful interaction. And, then, and, and, and I think so many people can't do that now because we've become so handcuffed by the technolization, is that a word? of training that, you know, we made technology out of punishments with metal collars and shock collars, and now we've made technology out of rewards, praise, with, you know, food rewards and clickers and stuff, and we've forgotten to talk to our dogs and give gorgeous praise, which of course is analog and variable, and, and we express not just you got it right, but how well you did or not just you got it wrong, but how dangerous that misbehavior is. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're missing in training, and it's why people go back to these deprivation. It's... Well, there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Alright. So controlled timing and thoughtful timing of the of all the riches you're going to provide for a dog are great, but... Uh, all the good is after the fact. But deprivation yeah. is... Uh. Deprivation <laughs> before the fact, pretty silly. 
Yeah. Okay. Thank you. There we go. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. 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 Bye.